Well, we are in week four of our series called Built Different. And what we're doing in the series is we're learning how to get stronger on the inside. We started by talking about knowing our calling. God has a calling for each and every one of us and what that looks like and what that means. And we've moved the last couple weeks into understanding our soul. How I've said that the key thought for that is that our spirit's transformed, but our soul has to be trained. That our soul is really one of the greatest influences in our life. And I want to stick with this theme today. I don't have my soul illustration. If you missed it, you got to go back and watch those messages. But I want to stick with this theme we've been in on what is it that, that can set us apart? How can we stand strong in the midst of really incredible external circumstances? How, how can we be different? How can we be salt and light in the world? And to do this, we're going to look today at the book of James. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of James, it's a letter in the New Testament written by, catch this, surprise, James. And James, if you don't know much about him, he was the leader and the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. So I immediately resonate with James because unlike other letters, other epistles that you might read in the New Testament, that a lot of them are written by Paul. Paul, when he would write, he would, he would write to large groups of churches. These letters are being shared throughout regions. He's planting new churches. And so he's trying to make sure that they've got good doctrine. And he's talking about theological concepts. James is a pastor. So, so James wastes no time getting right up in people's business. He's like, hey, I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. I know your struggles. I know what you're facing. So, so let me give you some wisdom for these areas. In fact, it, it's the reason that James, he, he writes with, with so much wisdom, it's that reason that theologians and scholars, they refer to James as the Proverbs of the New Testament. You know, the book of Proverbs, it's the writing of, of Solomon. It's a lot of short maxims and axioms that you can apply to your life. Well, James is kind of that way. James, he, he's giving his church some wisdom that's easy to apply. It's very practical. And he kind of moves quickly from topic to topic. Where we're going to look is in James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, he, he begins by talking. Uh, I like how he starts out. Verse 2, he says, all of us often make mistakes. How many of you, <laughs> that, that, that resonates with you? James is such a pastor. He's like, hey, we all make mistakes. We all often make mistakes. And this is good news, just by the way. Like if you come here, we don't expect you to have your life all figured out. We don't expect you to live perfect. It's not that your life has to, you know, look like this great packaging with a bow on it. All of us often make mistakes. And so if you've made some mistakes, you're in the right place today. If your life isn't quite what you want it to look like, you're in the right place today. That applies to all of us. We don't come to church because we've got our life figured out. We don't come to church because we've got our act together. In fact, we come to church because we know we don't. Because we need God's grace. We need God's help. We need God's hand on our life. We need God's wisdom. We need God's instruction. And so we get in this place and we say, God, you're going to help us. You're going to help us. Okay, let me help you out now. God's going to help us. Let me help you. When one person claps, everybody claps. This is just how we do it. All right. One Otherwise, that's so awkward for somebody. Have you ever just like one person's clapping and everybody's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. 
like I, that, that, that really resonates up here. I feel that in my heart, but I'm not going to do anything. Okay, well, James says all of us often make mistakes, but he doesn't leave us there. He says, but if a person never makes mistakes in what he says, he is perfect and is also able to control his whole being. Now catch this. What he's saying is, if you can get your words right, you can get your life right. And he's going to expound on this thought further. He says, we put a bit into the mouth of a horse to make it obey us. We're able to make it go where we want. Or think of a ship, big as it is and driven by such strong winds, it can be steered by a very small rudder. And it goes wherever the pilot wants it to go. So it is with the tongue. Small as it is, it can boast about great things. In other words, you're saying e even though your words might seem like a small thing, they have a very big influence on our life. Seems small, but it can boast about great things, has great influence. So just think how large a forest can be set on fire by a tiny flame. And the tongue is like a fire. It's a world of wrong, occupying its place in our bodies and spreading evil through our whole being. It sets on fire the entire course of our existence with the fire that comes to it from hell itself. It really took a turn, James. It's like... Let me skip to verse 10. We'll stop with this thought for a moment. It says, words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out from the same mouth. My friends, this should not happen. So context on James, like most of us, maybe if we've been around church or like went to Sunday school growing up or heard some sermons, when we think of James, what we typically think of is faith and, and works. James is kind of known, his claim to fame is that faith without works is dead. That's what he talks about in James chapter 2. Well, when we get to James 3, he puts a spin on it a little bit. It says, just like faith needs works, he wants you to know your faith also needs words. Like, there's a walk of faith. You know, Paul says we, we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, there's a walk of faith. There's a talk of faith, too. But faith should show up in, in how you speak. So, where he said before, like, if... If you have faith, and, and this is just one of those things that is probably helpful for people to understand because sometimes we're like, yeah, you know, like I have faith, I'm just not religious. James says it doesn't work that way. James says if, if you have faith, it shows up in your practices. I mean, sometimes religion gets a bad rap. I'm not talking about man-made tradition. I'm, I'm just saying like religion really is talking about practices. If you have faith, it's going to show up in your practices. So you say you have faith but don't have works. You're saying your, your faith is dead without works. Well, if your faith doesn't have words, your faith is weak. And that's kind of our jumping off point for as we get into this message. Since James is the Proverbs of the New Testament, I want to read one verse from Proverbs and then we'll get started. Proverbs 18.21 says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I want to use these thoughts to 
speak to you from this idea, eat your words, eat your words. In fact, if you've ever wanted to just say this to somebody, you can just look at them in the eyes right now and just tell them, you better eat your words. Because whether or not you want to, you're going to, you, you are. Have you ever heard that phrase, you are what you eat? Yeah, I'm so glad that's not true. I would be a donut. So, it's kind of my, my weakness. Um, you are what you, I recently learned that that phrase uh, actually dates all the way back to 1825. I didn't even know people cared about what they ate in 1825. But in 1825, there was this French gastronomist and philosopher, and he wrote a book called The Physiology of Food. And in it, he says that you are what you eat, that there's more to food than just nourishment, that it, it really says so much about us. And, you know, however you want to apply that for, for what it's worth, the, the thing that I think about more often, you know, we think about, hey, if you want to be healthy, you got to eat healthy. If you eat garbage, you're, you're going to feel like garbage. That's true. Uh, probably what's more often that we hear, you know, I, I've been talking about training your soul. I don't know if you've heard this one, that you can't out-train a bad diet. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever lived that before? That's me. You, you can't out-train a bad diet. Some people work out to look good. I just work out to eat good because I want to eat what I want to eat. And um, I already told you I, I hate running, um, but I do try and work out. I, I don't understand people who do marathons. The only marathon I want is one that's on Netflix. And uh, I mean, you can relate to that. But you, the, the, the point of what I'm trying to say is what's true for your body is also true for your soul. You can't out-train a bad diet. And what you eat impacts your development. Put it this way. Your diet affects your development. And what James is wanting us to see and what Proverbs tells us, that our words are like food. They can either be poison or they can be fruit. They can be nourishment or they can be deadly. If I was going to summarize James' thoughts in James chapter 3, this is what it would be. It's the only point I'm going to give you right up front, then we're going to build on this, is that if we want to change our life, we need to change our words. If you want to change your life, you got to change your words. Because they're either poison or fruit. They're either life or death. If you change your words, you'll change your marriage. If you change your words, you'll change your relationships. If you change your words, you'll change your feelings. If you change your words, you'll change your family. If you change your words, you'll change your future. If we want to change our life, we need to change our Words. Now, why is it that words are so important? Because we've been spending all this time talking about our soul. Today, I'm telling you, you need to watch your words. And you might think, this is a little confusing. I, I want you to see it's not confusing, it's connected. It's connected. Because what James wants us to know is that what we say steers our soul. Your words direct your thoughts. 
Your thoughts impact your emotions. Your emotions affect, or your, your thoughts impact your emotions. Your emotions impact your behavior. Many of us are creating issues in our life and bringing challenges into our life that could be fixed if we would begin to change the things that we're saying. Now, I need to uh, help you see this. Let's look at it one more time. James 3, verse 2. He says, if a person never makes a mistake in what he says, he's perfect and is able to control his whole being. What's that mean? That if we can control our tongue, we can train our soul. Your spirit's transformed. Your soul needs to be trained. Another translation says it this way. If we could control our tongue, we could control ourselves in every other way. Let me just ask you, what is the stuff that is out of control in your life? Just any area of your life, what's, what's out of control? Is it your emotions that are out of control? Feeling shame, feeling discouraged? Where, where you're, you're dealing with anxiety? James tells us it's not just our emotions, it's any area of our life. Is your money out of control? Is your diet out of control? Your, your desires, your lusts, greed, is it out of control? James says anything that's out of control can be solved by what you say. Now, admittedly, that's a bold statement. How can you say that, James? That my words have such a big impact on my life, I can solve problems by what I say. Well, let's think about this for a moment. Here's the first thought, is that we live out what we listen to. We live out what we listen to. You know, Scripture says it this way, that faith comes by hearing. Well, you listen to yourself more than anybody else. And everything you're saying is forming faith within you. It's building a belief within you. And what you listen to, so when you're complaining... When you're arguing, when you're fretting, when you're worrying, when, when you're venting your frustration, you are eating your words and feeding your soul. And what you feed on forms something within you. So let me build a little theological foundation for this idea that words matter, that words are important. First of all, God cares about words. God, he cares about your words, but specifically he cares a lot about his word. Words are powerful. Scripture calls words seed. W words matter to God. God's word really matters to him. Psalm 138 says this, that you have magnified your word even above your name. Now that's interesting to me because in Philippians 2, it tells us that God has given Jesus a name that is above every name. That he is the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, and that it is at that name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. We know that the name of Jesus is a mighty name. We know that the name of Jesus is a powerful name. But I want you to think about it this way. The reason his name is powerful is because his word is trustworthy. 
The reason we can call on his name and know that he'll answer is because his word can be trusted. He cares about his word and he watches over his word to perform it in our life. And because God cares about his word, if we're going to be formed into the image of Christ, we need to begin to care about our words. Let's look at it from a different angle. So God cares about his word. We should care about our words. But I also want you to know words are, are powerful. Hebrews 11 verse 3 puts it this way. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. What's that mean? That everything we see tangibly was made by something that we could not see. Everything we see was, was made by the invisible, supernatural, powerful word of God. Now, Genesis tells us this. It, it gives us an example. We see this in the creation story. You can read it for yourself. Genesis 1. It talks about God said, let there be light. And then God saw that the light was good. Now, let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that we're God and we have creative power with our words and we can speak something into nothing if we just say it over and over. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I want you to get the biblical principle here. That God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. On and on. It says God said and God saw. And God said and God saw. And just like God saw what he said, I'm trying to help you understand that what we say, we also see. We see what we say. That's the biblical principle. The world's were framed by the word of God and we frame our world by our words. And even though this is biblical truth, as is the case with every biblical truth, the science will reinforce this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but uh, neuroscience has deemed this phenomena, that they call it the reticular activating system. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but your reticular activating system is a network of neurons in your brain that go to work that the minute you say something, they begin to try to support with facts what they hear you say. So if you say, man, I am so frustrated today, your reticular activating system is going to kick into gear and begin to bring to your memory, everything that did not go the way you wanted it to go. And so you say, man, I am so mad at them right now. Your reticular activating system is going to kick up and remind you of why you're so mad at them and how they did what they did and why it was wrong. You just say something, man, I don't feel like that person likes me very much. Well, your reticular activating system is going to begin to interpret every action that they do as an intentional and personal attack against you. I'm trying to help you understand that we see what we say. The, the, the principle is, is not that we just manifest into existence something by our words. Now, our words are powerful. And the Bible does call our words like a seed. And every time you speak, you are sowing Seed, You are planting seed. And I just want to ask you, with all the seed that you've been sowing this week, are you going to like the harvest that you get? Because that is the fruit of your words. 
and you will eat your words. You'll, you'll eat your words. That's what James is showing us. It, it's, your words create your focus and your focus is what's feeding you. Even though our words can't create, they do act like the driver of our soul. Look at verse 3. It says, we put a bit into the mouth of a horse to make it obey us. We're able to make it go where we want. Think of a ship, big as it is, driven by such strong winds, it can be steered by a very small rudder. It goes wherever the pilot wants it to go. Here's the application. Our life is the horse. Our words are the bit. Our life is the ship. What we say is the rudder. And I want you to see that even though the winds are strong, it says there are some strong winds blowing against the ship, that's not what determines its direction. The rudder is going to determine where it goes. That means you can have all sorts of external circumstances coming at you, pushing against you, pressure can be on, but it's not the circumstances that determine your direction. I told you last week that you're the keeper of your soul. James wants you to know you are the captain of your ship. God is not going to determine the direction of your life. You are going to determine the direction of your life with what you say. And it's this little thing in our mouth, the tongue, that controls it. It's this little thing that influences the big thing. Think about how big a horse is compared to a bit. Think about how big a ship is compared to a rudder. It's a little thing. But if you can't control it, this little thing is going to wreak havoc in your life. That's what he says. So it is with the tongue. Small as it is, it can boast about great things. Think about how large a forest can be set on fire by a tiny flame. And the tongue is like a fire, a world of wrong, occupying its place in our bodies and spreading evil through our whole being. In other words, what you're saying is impacting your soul through our whole being. Sets on fire the entire course of our existence with the fire that comes to it from hell itself. Now get this. Our lives could get a lot easier if we would stop setting fires with our words. That means that when things are out of control in my life, it's really because something is out of control in my mouth. What's interesting to me about this is we generally think our problem is we got to get our thoughts right. Got to control our thoughts. If I think the right thoughts, and absolutely that's true. Our thoughts incredibly influential. But James is trying to cut to the heart of it. He's trying to give people wisdom to help them practically right now. And he's saying, look, if you can just begin to speak the right words, you're going to direct your thoughts. Your words will always override your thoughts. Just think about this practically. You can't say your ABCs in your mind and count to 10 out loud. Because you're, some of you are trying it right now. But you, you trust me, you can't. You try it after church. Because your thoughts are always going to follow what you say. And too often we compartmentalize our life where it's like, okay, well, I've got my, my Sunday life. And you know, I've got my, my words going to God. And then, like, I've just got the rest of my life throughout the week. James saying it doesn't work that way. He wants, he wants to address that because when it comes to our tongue, he says, we use it to give thanks to our God, our Lord and Father, and also to curse other people who are created in the likeness of God. 
Words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out of the same mouth. My friends, this shouldn't happen. No spring of water pours out sweet water and bitter water from the same opening. A fig tree, my friends, cannot bear olives. A grapevine cannot bear figs. Nor can a salty spring produce sweet water. In other words, I can't do both. I can't cuss somebody out one moment and then wonder why my heart doesn't want to worship on the weekend. I can't be worrying all week, saying how stressed I am, saying what's wrong, saying what I'm concerned about, and then wonder why I don't have faith to pray on Sunday. You don't have two sources in your life. It doesn't work that way. So what do we do? We need to begin to switch what we say. There's some things we need to refuse and there's some things that we need to choose. We gotta refuse negativity. We gotta refuse complaints. We gotta refuse worry and pessimism and fear. Gotta refuse that stuff that wants to come out of my mouth and I gotta choose belief. Got to choose gratitude. Got to choose peace and faith and trust and hope. Because when my words get right, my soul gets well. The good news is God is going to help you with this. He's not going to leave you on your own to figure it out. Now, he's not going to speak for you. It's your mouth. You've got to move your mouth. But he is going to help you. And I want to share with you from Scripture how he'll help you. Because I, I mentioned during communion, at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that impacted the disciples in a great way. I mean, if, you, if you've read through the Gospels, you know the story. When that happened, they were discouraged. They were despondent. They were depressed, distressed, doubtful. They were in fear, in hiding, they didn't know what to do. And yet something happened from the resurrection to when the church was birthed to Peter gets up in a crowd of people and starts preaching. And it says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people got baptized. What was it that, that changed these men? I want to show it to you in Scripture. It's stuck out to me in a new way. It's in Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had finally arrived, they were all together in the same place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like the sound of a strong blowing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. About as interesting it says this came from heaven. Verse 3, then tongues seemingly made of fire appeared to them. And moving apart and coming to rest on each one of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the words to say. Now this is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And specifically this supernatural moment is what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to share it with you the way God shared it with me. It says that was something that came from heaven. It was like tongues of fire. And this is how the Holy Spirit said it to me this week, is that you've got to fight fire with fire. So you, you, you can either 
have your tongue that is set on fire by the very fires of hell coming out of your mouth. Or you can receive the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to change your words. Look at what it says. The Spirit gave them the words to say. But they had to begin to speak. So in, in our life, the Holy Spirit's going to help you, but he's not going to speak the words for you. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit, that he would remind you of everything that I've said, Jesus talking. He said he will guide you into all truth. So how does this happen? Understand what I'm not saying is that, that there is never a time or a place for you to share what you're feeling be authentic with, with what's going on. I, I understand that. Social media is not the place, by the way. Maybe it, it, it's with a counselor. Maybe it's with a pastor. Maybe it's with a spouse. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you deny reality. But what I am saying is in those moments where you're beginning to say something like, man, I'm so stressed right now, that you allow the Holy Spirit come and help you and give you the words to say. Don't leave it there, is what I'm saying. Don't leave it there. You might say, man, I'm feeling stressed, but here's what I know. I know that God is my helper. I, I, I know that it's actually in my weakness that he's made strong. I, I know that I've got a lot of pressure, circumstances coming from the outside, but greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. And and that I'm an overcomer. I, I, I'm saying, let the Holy Spirit remind you of truth. Let, let the Holy Spirit guide your conversation. Let him give you some words. Don't, don't just leave it at I'm so stressed. Don't just leave it as I'm overwhelmed right now. You need, you need to begin to change what you say. Because whether you realize it or not, you are eating your words every time you speak. Just look at Proverbs again one more time. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. But you can't out-train a bad diet. So some of you are trying so hard for God to impact your life and to grow spiritually and to get your life on the right course and to get your life on the right track. And you are sabotaging yourself all the time with your words. You know, they say abs are made in the kitchen. Have you ever heard that? I was thinking about our attitude, our behavior, situations we find ourselves in. It all starts with what we say. Our, our soul is being shaped by our words. And until we change our words, our soul will not be developed. I didn't share this scripture, but Psalm 34 Psalmist says, whoever loves life and desires to see many good days, I got to keep their tongue from evil. But before that, Psalm 34 verse 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, that's the place to start. Maybe for some of you, the, the Holy Spirit's going to help you right now to think about your, your words and what's been coming out of your mouth and the things that are happening in your life. But for others of you, your starting point is simply to taste and see 
that the Lord is good.